All right, we've arrived. Chapter three of From Men and Angels from H.L. Walsh. This is the final indie author uh, episode for this week. If you didn't um, hear the first two, make sure to go listen to those and get chapter one and two, and this will be chapter three. And remember, this book is available for pre-order, and the links for that are down in the description below. Huge shout out again to H.L. Walsh. Remember to go follow him on social media. The links are also down below for that. And uh, yeah, now without further ado, I give you chapter three of From Men and Angels. Chapter 3 Amara crouched behind a cart in the alley, waiting for her chance to strike. She had a small knife on her, but she hoped she wouldn't have to use that. She was watching the man on the other side of the street as he sold food from his stall. He was her target. She saw a group of people approaching his cart and knew this would be her best chance. She stood up as they passed the alley she was in and fell in behind them. As they walked up to the man's cart, she pushed into the middle of the group. One of them protested, but she ignored them. Instead, while everyone was busy talking with the vendor and each other, she grabbed an apple from the cart and slipped it into a bag without anyone noticing. She pretended to study the oranges, picking one or two of them up before pilfering one of those as well. Just as the crowd was starting to disperse, she spied the man's coin purse. He had left it unguarded on his cart and was talking with another customer on the far side of the cart from her. She cautiously looked around to make sure no one had already noticed her and slipped the purse into a bag as well. She turned and started walking away with what was left of the group she had walked up with. Hey! The merchant called. Amara forced herself not to look back or bolt. She had to appear calm. She might still be able to get away. The merchant didn't know who had taken the purse. A hand fell on her shoulder and spun her around. It was the merchant. Girl, did you steal my purse? He said heatedly. No! Amara replied a little too quickly. I didn't steal nothing. She tried to look shocked and confused, but ended up looking startled and guilty. We'll see about that. The merchant was not going to let her get away. I didn't, she exclaimed again, thinking quickly. But there's someone stealing it now. She pointed at the empty stall behind him. When he turned to look, she kicked him hard in the shin and took off down an alley. She could hear the man's angry shouts behind her, but she knew she could outrun him. He was fat and slow. She just hoped the city guard wasn't around to catch her. She just had to make it to the guild, but if she was being chased by the guard, she would have to lose them first. She chanced to glance behind her and didn't see anyone. I'm free! She thought as she grabbed a storm drain and shimmied up to the rooftop. She hopped along the rooftops until she was right at the entrance to the shadows of the earth's den. She climbed down from the roof and opened the covers to the sewers. She jumped down onto dry ground. This part of the sewer, diverted by the shadows of the earth, shadows for short, still smelled like a sewer, but you didn't have to slog through waste to get around. Whoever had come up with the plan was smart. Instead of just damming up the sewers, they rerouted and diverted all the sewer lines away from this area, and then set up a series of pipes to take the waste from each house and push it to the main lines that hadn't been diverted. All of them emptied into the river that went out to the sea. The short run and climb had her sweating, and she slipped off the rags she had on over her head. It was warm outside, as it was all year round in Keister. She had on a small, black, tight-fitting shirt and shorts, like most of the women of the Shadows wore. They were easy to move in and covered all the important parts while allowing the most ventilation. She had worn them ever since she could remember. She wore the rags over them to sell her street kid look. Sometimes she would get coins or food from passers-by just by begging. Most of the time, she had to steal it, though. Amara moved toward the main chamber of the shadows. She had a good haul today, which meant she would get to eat. This was the first time she had stolen money, so she didn't know what her cut would be. If there were enough coins in the purse, she might even get to eat tomorrow, too. She found her handler, Laudel, and walked over to him, pulling out the fruit and coin purse. He looked at her and arched an eyebrow. "'What do we have here?' he asked, a smile playing across his face. 
you going big on us, started stealing more than just food. It was there and open, so I took it, that's all. Amara defended herself. She had never stolen a coin purse before. In fact, she had no idea what any of the coins meant or were worth. She knew that silver was better than copper, and that gold was better than silver, but how much each was worth was a mystery to her. Calm down, little one. Laudell chuckled. He had a warm smile and a kind face. He was taller than her, but most people were. Amara stood about five foot tall and was very thin, but that was mostly because she had lived with the shadows since she could remember. They told her that they found her in the street in the dead of winter. They told her when they found her, her extremities were already turning blue, but that she had been wrapped warmly in a blanket. Laudell had taken pity on her, and took her into the sewers to live with him. Since then, she had been under his charge. They said she was only a few months old when they found her. The Shadows had just started the chapter in the town of Keister back then, and didn't have a lot, but they made sure that she stayed alive. Since she was able to walk, they had been training her to steal and the art of the Shadows. She could run, jump, and get around objects much faster than most of the thieves in the guild, and she was just learning to pickpocket, which she found was much easier than she had assumed. She was almost eighteen, and was still learning when and what to steal. She didn't mind stealing, and the guild always gave its members a cut of what was stolen, but that didn't always mean that she ate every day. She was very thin and fit, but everyone in the shadows was that way, except Dross. He was their bruiser. If there were any problems needing muscle, he always took care of it. Laudell had poured out the coins onto the table in front of him. There were a couple of gold coins, but most were silver or copper. Laudell whistled low. Girly, you hit the big one. I think it's time for me to teach you about the money system. Amara huffed and plopped moodily into a chair across the table from him as he put one of each copper, silver, and gold coin in front of her. Do I have to do this now? I need to get back out there. I want a full stomach tonight. Amara complained. Laudell raised an eyebrow. Well, guild standard for an apprentice is 25% of coins brought in and half of the food. If you knew what money was worth and how much you could buy, you would know that you have money to eat for three or four days just from this hall. Amara's mouth dropped open. So, do I have your attention now? He continued before Amara could answer. Now, you see the little copper coin? She nodded. This one isn't worth much, but you can buy a loaf of bread for about five of those. This silver one is worth ten of the bronze coins, and the gold is worth five silvers. So, how many bronze coins does it take to make a gold? Laudell had been teaching her numbers, and how to read for a few years now, and he was always trying to get her to use them so she didn't forget. She had to think for a moment, but not as long as it used to take her. Fifty. It takes fifty of the bronze to make a gold. Correct. Now, I want you to count out your coins, and I'll help you find out how much is yours. Do you still remember how to do percentage? Yes, Laudell, she said, exasperated that he thought she might have forgotten. She counted fifteen bronze coins, six silver, and three gold. Laudell taught her to break all the coins down to bronze coins, and find out how many she got, and then take the correct coin count. This was usually done by the handlers, but he said he wanted her to know, so she always knew people were dealing straight with her. She would get equal to fifty-six bronze coins. Laudell gave her sixteen bronze coins and four silver coins. Why didn't you just give me one gold and six bronze? Amara asked curiously. Because you aren't going to be buying anything that is worth more than a silver. Laudell patiently explained. You don't want to carry that many coins on you. I would carry no more than a silver and five copper, unless you have something in mind to buy that is more. You don't want to make the same mistake as this guy, and leave all your money in one purse. He got all of his money stolen. She nodded in understanding. But where do I keep the rest? I don't have one purse, much less two of them. 
and if I leave it in my room, there's no guarantee that someone won't steal it. That is a good point. He handed her the now empty purse that she had stolen and walked to the room where the extra equipment was kept. She followed as she slid her coins into a new purse. He opened a crate and Amara saw a pile of purses in it. We keep all the extra purses that have been taken and sell them with the rest of the things we pinch, he told her. Pick one. She looked through a few of them. Some were thin and wouldn't last long, and some were so gaudy that they would be stolen within a day of her having it. She picked a medium-quality one with good stitching and a beautiful rose etching on the leather, something that looked nice but wouldn't stand out. Good pick. Laudel smiled down at her. She poured the coins out from the first purse and picked out a silver and five copper and put them into the one with the rose on it. She replaced the rest of the coins in the first purse. She put both purses on her belt for the moment and followed Laudel out of the room and back to the table. Now, you ought to figure out where you will keep your money and what to do with all your extra time. Laudel again smiled at her. I think, with my extra time, I'll find where to put my purse. I don't trust some of the thieves here. She stood and grabbed the apple for her half of the food she had taken. Good girl. Laudel stood with her. Glad you haven't forgotten all my lessons. It's still early, and you don't have any reason to take a job, but there is a job tonight that would be ideal for your first one. If you want it, we would need to go over the details this afternoon. Amara thought about it for a long moment before taking a bite out of the apple. What's the job? I won't kill anyone, she warned. Lord of Helga, we aren't assassins, Laudel exclaimed. The number one rule of the guild is kill only in defense, and that's as a last option. You should know the rules, girl. I know, I know. Sorry, I wasn't thinking. Amara hung her head. How could she have forgotten? Tell me the other rules of the guild, Laudel demanded. Amara sighed, but had known this was coming. Rule one, don't hurt or kill anyone unless your own life is at risk. Rule two, don't put your brother and sister in the guild in danger or interfere with a job unless it is to protect the party involved. Rule three, get in and get out without being seen and without leaving any evidence you were there unless the job requires it. Amara recited these from memory. They had been drilled into her head since she was a child. She couldn't believe she had, even momentarily, forgotten one of them. Good, Laudel said. Now, if you complete jobs successfully, you get 50% of what the customer paid, and if you can steal more, we get to keep the items you steal for the job. Then you get 25% of what we sell it for, if it sells. I will keep track of your items for you. As for what the job is, you will be breaking into the mayor's house and stealing a ledger that will be in his desk. The ledger you are looking for is one that shows all the expenses that come in and out of the city. The manor has little security, and there will be a ball that his whole family will be at tonight. There will be no one in the office, so you shouldn't have plenty of time, and if you miss the timing on the guard rotation, you will be fine to wait for the next one. That sounds like it still could be dangerous. Amora put her hands on her hips. Why would I take this job after I'd gotten off to live for a few days? As I said, this heist is going to be one of the easiest to start you out on, and we might have to wait a few months for another one that's good. Laudel insisted. And it probably would be even more dangerous. However, you're right. This one isn't without its dangers. If you're picked up in the mayor's office or leaving with the items, you will be jailed for no more than a month since you have no priors. If you're caught getting in, then the punishment will be less than a week in jail. But a lot of other jobs, you will be killed on sight or hanged later if you were caught. So, you think I should take it? She asked. She always trusted Londell. He had never led her wrong and had been more of a father to her than anyone, even though he had no idea how to be one. He had taught her everything. Yes, he said flatly. 
She liked that about him, too. No beating around the bush. Just facts and short opinions when asked. Fine, I'll take it. I have to go stash my extra coin and get something to eat, and then I'll be back to go over the plan. That's my girl. Lordell awkwardly hugged her, or maybe it was just awkward for her. I already picked it up from the board. He produced the papers from inside his cloak. He rogue! Amara punched him in the shoulder. How did you know I'd take the job? Lordell rubbed his shoulder, wincing. I know you better than you think, girl. I have one last thing for you before you go. I got these for when you took your first real job. He moved to a sack that he had sitting beside the table and pulled out a piece of black leather wrapped around itself. She could see metal rods sticking out from it, but had no idea what it was. He handed it to her, still wrapped. She took it from him and looked at him quizzically. What is it? she asked. Well, unwrap it and you will find out, Lordell responded. She started unwrapping it. It looked almost like a corset someone would wear under a dress, but it had four ornate metal handles sticking out on each side. The handles angled up slightly and laid almost flush with the leather. What in the world is this torture device? she inquired, holding up the thing. It's a hard leather-armoured piece with the ability to hold sixteen six-inch throwing daggers, Lordell said excitedly. Unfortunately, I could only afford eight daggers. Lordell's face drooped a little. Oh! Amara exclaimed and re-examined the leather with newfound appreciation. She had never had anything so nice. She pulled out the daggers and tested the balance. It was almost perfect, and she knew this present had cost Lordell a great deal, maybe everything he had. This is so nice. I can't accept this. She tried to hand it back. Oh, no, you don't. I won't accept no for an answer. Lordell pushed the leather piece back toward her. Besides, I can't take it back. I bought it off a sneak that pinched it from a leather shop. He probably has already spent the money. But this cost you so much, she pressed. Not as much as you would think. It's your first job, and it's bad luck to go on your first job without a present. I know how well you like your throwing daggers, he responded. Fine, she said. She really did want to keep it, and she loved the filigree on the handles. She hugged him this time. It wasn't even awkward for her. She was so excited. Let me show you how it goes on. Lordell took the leather from her and walked around behind her. He helped her lace it up and showed her how to do it herself for the next time. She went over to the clean well in the center of the room and looked at her reflection in the water. When the leather was properly laced, the daggers laid almost flat against her size. It would be hard to detect it under a cloak. Now all she needed was a cloak. She didn't have one, and she would need one for tonight. I need an outfit, she said, voicing her thoughts. You'll have enough money for one. Don't worry, Lordell said. The guild gives you one for your first job, but you will have to pay it back as you go. They will take it out of your jobs at a minimum of 25% of your cut for each job, and the same if you sell something. It will only take you a few jobs to pay back. He saw the disbelief on her face, and guessed what she was thinking. Welcome to the middle class, where you work for everything you own, but you get to eat every day. He chuckled as she smiled at him. Amara left the shadows with her head held high and excitement in her heart. She had already played tonight's job out in her head more than twenty times. She was ready for her first job and the benefits that it would bring. She glanced at the large clock tower at the center of the city. She still had a few hours until she had to be there, but she wanted to go watch the mayor's manor and make sure the guard rotation hadn't changed. She was dressed in her form-fitting matte black leather armor and had blackened the knife hilt so nothing would reflect or shine in the moonlight and give her away while she infiltrated the manor. 
It made her a little sad to rub the black soot on the ornate hilts, but it couldn't be helped. She stopped at the market and picked up some cheese and bread. She actually could pay for the items, and it strangely felt good to do so. She put the food into a pocket of her satchel and ascended to the rooftops again. She was moving along the rooftops towards the manor and decided she would scout around the manor to make sure their intel was correct. She knew the location of the office would be correct, but there might be a better direction of ingress and egress than they had chosen for her. She made her way around the manor. It was a three-story building that wasn't overly gaudy, but still way too big for any one man. At least, she thought it was. It was more or less square, with a good-sized lawn and a large stone wall about fifty yards away from the building. Most of the guards patrolled the yard, but there were a few inside the manor as well. There were two gates in the wall that provided easy access to the manor. One was a simple iron-barred gate, the other was a massive wooden gate that rose higher than the rest of the wall, making the stone rise over the wooden door. This, of course, was for show, and didn't provide any extra defense, since no one could be stationed on the top of the wall. There was also the smaller gate at the rear of the manor. This gate was for show and vanity only, and Amara couldn't stand it. I'm glad we're stealing from this pompous idiot tonight, she thought to herself. She had heard the mayor was arrogant and haughty, looking down on everyone, even if they were not below his status. She didn't think he was evil, he just didn't have his priorities straight, though there were rumors of corruption. She thought he was the perfect mark, since he wouldn't be able to admit that he had been stolen from. It would make him look bad, and he treasured status above all else. On the ground floor of the main building were several entrances. On the back side there was a small servant's entrance, and two other entrances. One was on the side for the family to use to get to the grounds, and there were some chairs and tables for their use. The other was the front entrance, which was in some way as godly as the front gate. It wasn't as massive as that gate, but it had a large set of double doors trimmed in gold, and large handles that appeared to be gold but were probably just dipped. Amara doubted that the mayor would actually have paid for solid gold handles, but they were polished and gave the appearance that he had more money than he did. She found a good place to watch the window that had been selected for her. It was on the side of the manor that didn't have a door. That meant that the guard's rotation would take them by this side less often. There was a gutter that was attached to the wall that she was promised would take her weight. She settled in and pulled out the bread and cheese. The cheese tasted so good that she almost forgot about the bread entirely. It was not like she had ever truly been starving, but since she didn't get to eat some days, having a full belly and rich food was glorious. She sat there for about an hour, watching the guards move, and noted that there were only twice in that hour that a guard passed by and they were only ten minutes apart. That meant that there were a whole forty minutes that there were no guards within sight of the window. It was perfect. Amara decided to err on the side of caution, and moved to the opposite side of the manor. She found a place to sit and watch that side to use up the last of her daylight. She saw guards everywhere. The first side was the obvious choice. She figured that the other three sides were more heavily guarded because they had ground floor access. The only thing she wasn't told was the guard movements inside the building. They were given the guard movements on the outside from a week ago. There had been no guarantee that they wouldn't have changed by now, but they were never given the other guard rotation. That was the only wild card for the night. She assumed that most of the time the guards didn't patrol the halls as often on the inside of the building as much as the outside. She decided to move back to the side with the window that she would enter from, and again settled in to wait for her time to move. She needed to wait until it was too dark to easily see her, and just before the guards changed shifts. Amara climbed down from her hiding spot. It was time to start her first heist. She had timed it just right, and she was a little proud of herself. She had waited for one of the last rotations of the shifts, and there were no guards in sight. She had a thirty-minute window to get in, fifteen minutes inside the building, and another twenty or so to get out. As Laudel had told her, if it took her longer to find the ledger, 
All she would have to do was wait a little longer for the gun rotation. This was a pretty easy job as far as thievery was concerned. All she had to do was get in, get the ledger, and get out. There were only two wild cards in this gig. One, she had no solid intel on the guard's movements in the manor, and two, she didn't know where in the mayor's office the ledger would be located. It could be anywhere in his office, but she was assured it would be in that room. She leaped from her perch and hit the ground running. Just before reaching the wall, she made a jump and caught the top of it. Her fingers lashed onto the edge of the wall, and she pulled herself up and over before anyone on the street could see her. She landed behind some bushes that lined the wall and checked around before she moved on. There was no reason to be reckless. There was no one in sight, so she made a dash toward the wall. Again, she jumped as high as she could and grabbed the storm drain. She made sure she had a firm grip and then started pulling herself up, hand over hand, her feet braced against the wall for support. When she reached the window's ledge, she leaned over to look inside and cursed. The shutters were drawn, and she had no way of telling if anyone was just inside the window or not. She knew that this window opened to a hall, and there could be anyone walking by at any time. She had a thought, and leaned a little closer, putting her ear against the window, and listened. She didn't hear anything, but that didn't mean much. She could open the window, and run right into a guard that was stationed there, and was just not making any noise at the moment. Well, I can't sit on this ledge all night, she thought. She pulled one of her blackened knives out of its sheath. She slipped the knife in under the window, and flipped the latch that held it shut. Too easy, she thought. They really need to make these window latches more secure. She pulled the window open, and almost lost her balance as it popped loose. A knife slipped from her hand, and she watched it fall to the grass. She cursed under her breath. The knife had luckily fallen point down, and sunk into the earth up to the hilt. She didn't know whether to go back and get it or not. It would cost her time, and it wasn't sticking too far out of the ground. Nobody would notice it. She decided that she would press on and get it on her way out. She mentally kicked herself for being so careless, but it seemed to turn out fine. She carefully pulled the curtains aside and looked in. The hall was dark, and the lamps on the wall were not lit. She was at a turn in the hallway. To her left, the hall continued along the outside wall with several doors on the right. Straight ahead, the hall went for about twenty feet and stopped at another junction that turned right and left. There was no one in sight. She slipped in the window and pushed it most of the way closed. She crouched down, turned, and looked around a little more intently. Still, nothing. She moved straight ahead to the junction and peeked around the corner to the left. Nothing. She turned and looked to the right and just about screamed. She clamped her hand over her mouth and froze. There was a figure standing at the end of the hall looking directly at her. The figure didn't move an inch. She stood there frozen for what felt like a lifetime. Neither she nor the figure moved. She looked closer, wondering if there was any way that the guard hadn't seen her. She slowly, inch by inch, moved back around the corner. Once she was out of sight of the figure, she moved to the inside wall and let her heart settle. The figure was guarding the most direct route to the mayor's office. She worked up the courage to peek around the corner. The figure was still standing there in the exact same position. No one stands that still, she thought, looking closer. She suddenly felt extremely foolish. As she looked closer, she realized that what she thought was a person was simply a suit of armor. Who puts a suit of armor in a hallway? Amara walked up to the suit, careful to make sure there was no one else around, still feeling a little paranoid. The mayor must think it makes him look important or rich because he would never fit in this, much less carry it. She knocked on the breastplate, and a hollow, metallic sound emanated from it. She needed to get moving, though. She couldn't stand there playing with the suit of armor all night. She moved down the hall to the left and up the stairs to the next floor. There were no windows on this floor, which is why she had to enter the mansion from the floor below. This floor housed the mayor's personal office, as well as a sitting room and conference room. 
The mayor believed that having windows in the place of work distracted from work, which she thought was a most absurd belief. This also made for an extremely hot work environment. Because of that, the ceilings and floors had vents in them to allow the air to flow a little from the floors above and below it. As she walked up the stairs, though, the air became hot and stifling. The vents didn't seem to help too much, though the cool night air would soon find its way into the house. She had to be careful about any sound that she made, because it would carry through the vents of the floor above and below it, and bring the guards down on top of her. She moved quietly through the hall, and to the door they said would be the mayor's office. She tested the handle, and it was locked. She pulled out her lockpick set and set to work. She couldn't recall how many locks she had picked with this very same pick. That had been her first set of picks that Laudel taught her with. Her first lock took her more than an hour to pick, but Laudel said she had a gift for it. She didn't believe him until he told her that his first lock had taken him almost a whole 24 hours to get through. She had asked some of the other guild members and found out their first lock had taken them much longer than hers. From there, her skills had only grown. It took her only a few moments before the door emitted a soft click and she was in. She opened the door slowly to find the cleaning closet. She stood there dumbfounded for just a moment before she realized she must have the wrong room. She must have been told wrong. She shut the door and moved down the hall to the next door and picked its lock. She opened it to find the actual mayor's office. She let out a sigh of relief. She stepped into the room and closed the door softly behind her. Who keeps the door to the clean closet locked anyway? She asked herself. She looked around the room and took stock of everything. The mayor had a huge wooden desk that wrapped around the room and took up most of the space. It went from the back right corner to the opposite corner, up the left wall, and jutted out just before the door. She couldn't believe what she was seeing. The desk was made of some dark imported wood and must have cost a small fortune. There were papers stacked on most of the desk surfaces, but for a small workspace that was kept clear for the mayor to get his work done on. That's where she'd start. There were two sets of drawers to either side of the workspace, and both had a lock set into them. She had never seen a lock like it before. There was only one lock, but all three drawers were stuck shut. She hoped it was the same principle as the other lock she had picked and set to work on the right set of drawers. It was just like the normal tumbler locks that were set in the doors, and she opened it without any issues. The top drawer held all manner of writing paraphernalia, paper, charcoal, inkwells, and a stick-looking thing that had a sharp metal end on it. There were no quills, so she assumed it was for dipping in the ink and writing with. She put it into a bag. She wanted to take a closer look at it, and it might be worth something. She moved to the second drawer, but when she opened it, she couldn't believe her eyes. It wasn't the ledger. It was something she wanted nonetheless. Two bags of coins were sitting there in the drawer. She put those as swiftly and quietly as she could into her bag. When she pulled the third drawer open, there were just papers in it. No doubt important ones for them to be locked up, but it wasn't what she was looking for, and she didn't know enough to know which papers would be useful. Amara moved over to the second set of drawers and picked the lock on that set. She opened each one of those, not finding anything useful in the first two. She opened the bottom drawer and found the ledger. She quickly thumbed through it and confirmed it to be the ledger. She stuffed it into a bag, but as she shut the drawer, she noticed something odd. The bottom of the drawer on the inside was higher than the bottom of the drawer on the outside by almost half the height. It was a false bottom. She moved her hand around the inside of the drawer and found a latch that held the false bottom in place. She moved the latch and pushed on the back. The whole bottom swiveled up and revealed a second ledger and ten more sacks of coins. She almost gasped. She had never seen so many coins in one place, and she almost missed it. She almost went back with the wrong ledger. The one in her pack must be a fake to throw off any would-be thief. It almost worked. She grabbed the coin purses and second ledger, but before she could put the first ledger back, she heard a pair of footsteps coming down the hall. She replaced the false bottom and shut the drawer. 
She looked up as the footsteps reached the door and watched the knob turn. She looked around for a hiding spot, but the only place was under the desk. She moved as quickly as the now heavy bag at her side would allow her to. She heard the door open, and she heard a few whispers between the two people at the door who couldn't hear what was said. Then she heard a giggle. That's strange. What would a girl be doing up here? Amora thought. Footsteps rushed in, and the door shut behind the pair. Dane, what are we doing up here? This is my father's office, the girl said. If he catches us here, he will have you hung. Your father's not here. There's no way he'll ever know. The voice that must have belonged to Dane said. Besides, it wouldn't be fun if there wasn't a little danger. At that point, Amara heard the couple kissing and wanted to throw up. It wasn't hard to deduce where this was going, and she had no way of knowing how long it was going to go on. She really didn't want to listen to their lovemaking, so she pulled a pack off her shoulder and stood up. What in the world is going on here? She barked as if she were the one in charge. Her plan was a little risky, but she couldn't wait for someone to find the couple and search the office. She picked up the boy's shirt that had been discarded on the desk and started laying about with it, shouting about telling the girl's father and how much trouble they would be in. She shooed them out of the room and threw the shirt at the boy. The couple tore off down the hall without looking back. Amara moved quickly back to the desk and grabbed her bag from underneath it. She had to get out of the manor before the couple realized they had been duped and called the guards. She ran as quietly as she could with her bag full of clinking coins and got back to the window in about a minute. She opened the window and looked out. Her stomach just about dropped to the floor. A guard was standing directly under the window, holding her dropped knife in his hand. She ducked back in the window as he started to look up, but there was no way she had time to close it. He would soon see the open window and call the other guards. She was panicking now. She knew she was caught, and there was nothing she could do to get out. Calm down and think, she told herself, and forced her breathing to slow. She stuck her head out of the window cautiously, but the guard was gone. She looked to her left and caught a glimpse of him moving around the corner at a normal pace. She looked to her right, and there were no guards in sight. She breathed a sigh of relief and thanked whatever god or demon that was helping her. She sat down on the windowsill and swung her legs into the open space. She pulled her bag out along with her, careful not to let herself get off balance by her heavy load. She grabbed the storm drain with her left hand and scooted herself off the ledge. For a second, she was pulled down by the weight of her bag, but she caught the storm drain with her second hand and slowed her fall. She felt a sharp pain in her left hand, but couldn't stop to look now. She let herself drop the last five feet and landed in a crouch. She thought one last time of the knife and vowed to never make the mistake of dropping one again. She looked at her hand that was now throbbing and she saw a cut that ran the width of her hand and was bleeding badly. No time to bandage that. She would have to leave it for now and clean it later. She sprinted for the outer wall and just as she was pulling herself over, she heard the ringing of the alarm. She leaped off the wall and disappeared into the shadows of the alley across the street. Amara jumped down into the sewers and bounced into the shadow's main chamber with all the pride and excitement of a two-year-old who has just successfully acquired a cookie without being caught. Laudel was waiting for her, and the relief was evident on his face. He would never admit it, but she knew he had been worried about her. All he said was, Did you get the item? She pulled out the ledger in response. He took it from her and thumbed through it. Any trouble? Laudel asked, turning and walking away without waiting for a response. He seemed a lot more professional than usual, not as warm toward her like he usually was. No, Laudel. Amara jogged to catch up, and then fell into step with Laudel. I mean, there were a couple of small issues, but nothing I couldn't handle. I hear the alarm was sounded at the mayor's mansion. He questioned her, still walking across the main chamber. Yes, but... But nothing. Laudel cut her off. We've heard reports of two eyewitnesses who said they saw you, 
and there was one of your knives found at the manor. I know, but... But nothing, Lordell said again. He turned to look at her, this time stopping her in her tracks. If the job had gone any more wrong, you would have been caught. You're lucky the eyewitnesses were young and couldn't remember you very well, and you're lucky the guard didn't look up when you had the window wide open gawking at him. Lordell began to walk again. That guard could have looked up, but for some reason he thought that someone was calling him. Why would he have thought that? Amara was confused. Because yours truly made him think that, Lordell responded. Some quick thinking on my part, if I do say so myself. So you were out there watching me? Amora said, getting a little frustrated. Of course I was. Lordell sounded appalled. What kind of handler would I be if I let you run solo your first mission? The point is that you need to be more careful. You don't want to have a theft go wrong, like it very nearly did twice tonight. After you are caught once, you are in the system, and the guard will know your face. It could limit what jobs you can take. Amora smiled. She knew that Lordell was more worried about her than he let on, and was covering it by acting like he only cared about her career. They got to the meeting room, and Amara went in first. Amara was shocked to see the Shadow's leader sitting at the table. She stopped in the doorway, and Lordell ran into the back of her, knocking her off balance. For goodness sakes, girl! Lordell's voice trailed off as he saw the master. The master was smaller than people would expect, and most of the time wore baggy robes with his hood up. Amara had only seen him once in her life, and he looked the same then as he did now. She couldn't see anything under the robes, not even around his neck. The other thieves told stories about how he had narrowly escaped a fire but had nasty scars. That's why he always wore the robes, even in the dead heat of the summer. The last time Amara had seen him, he had come to watch a train when Lordell was teaching her to throw knives, and he had a kind, soft voice. She liked him then, and he seemed to be a good leader. They said that he could steal the pants of the captain of the guard. Please, come in and sit with me, Amara, he said. His voice was smooth, calm, and gentle. Amara moved to the table and sat down. Thank you, Amara said, and then quickly added, Sir. Mordell took a seat to her left. No need for formalities, the master replied. We are going to be talking about your bright future as one of our members. Amora was not sure what was going on, and she didn't even have the benefit of reading the master's face to find out. She assumed, though, that the master would be able to hide his intentions, even if she could see his face. Amara. The master was looking right at her. I watched you during this first job that you pulled. Laudel and Amara looked at each other, and Amara could tell that Laudel didn't have a clue that he had been there. I am very impressed, he continued. You were a little careless with the knife, though. He pulled the knife that she had dropped out of one of his sleeves and put it down on a table. And also, you should have waited to leave the room until the young couple had finished their business or discovered you on their own. However, that was a decent plan that you had by making them think that you were supposed to be there when they weren't. Unfortunately, they were able to piece together a decent likeness of your face. He pulled out a rolled-up piece of parchment from the other sleeve and opened it on the table. It had a drawing of her face. It wasn't a perfect likeness, but it was close enough that the guard might be able to tell it was her. Luckily, the guard that had this drawing will lose it somewhere and won't be able to find it. He won't want to admit the mistake, but sooner or later... He will have to tell the captain, and they will have drawn a new one from the memory of the guard who heard the witnesses. Time will have passed, and memories fade. 
so you know how that will go. She did. The guard would only get half the account right and make up the other half. The new drawing of her would look nothing like her at all. She was amazed at how quickly the master had moved to swipe both these items and still make it to the shadow's lair to meet with her after the theft. But, she guessed, that's why they called him a master. So, let us talk about your final failure. Both Amara and Laudel looked at each other confused as the master continued. In your hurry to get out without being caught, you left the window open and left a bloody trail down the storm drain. I could not both clean up after you and take the items back that would put you at risk. This means that if we ever need to get to the mayor's office again, it will most likely not be possible to use the same entry point. It will be difficult and dangerous. You have inadvertently put your brothers and sisters in the shadow at risk. Now, hold on a minute, Laudel said, leaning forward in his chair. Amara cut his outburst short. It's true. Amara was ashamed. She hadn't even thought of that at the time. All she thought of was getting out. She had put future heists at risk. She had nothing to say against his accusations, so her only course of action was to face it head on. I did do that. I should have taken a few seconds to close the window and safely make the descent. She held out the hand that she had cut. She had taken the time to clean and bandage it before coming back to the guild. Laudel gasped at her for a moment, then let out a sigh and flopped back into his chair. Girl, what have I told you time and time again? Slow down, even when leaving with the loot. If you go too fast, you make mistakes. Amara recited. And I know that's what happened. I made a mistake. She turned to the master. I promise it won't happen again. I think that, in the end, it was a small price to pay for the success of the mission, but I do appreciate the honesty. It's hard to come by in a thief. Please, show us the goods that you managed to obtain. The master gestured toward her bag that was now sitting on the table. Amara undid the leather thong that held the flap down and upended the bag onto the table. Laudel let out a low whistle. Now, now that's a lot of coin sacks. How much is in there? His question sounded more like he was talking to himself rather than actually asking someone in the room, but Amara answered him anyway. I'm not sure. I haven't even got to look in them yet. She could see now that there was a difference between the two coin purses that she had gotten from the first drawer and the ten that she had gotten from the false bottom drawer. The two purses that were in the first drawer were well worn and very thin in a couple of places. The ten purses that were in the false bottom looked like they had just been bought yesterday. She reached for one of the new purses. Hold on, young one, the master said. Why do you think the purses look differently? And why do you think the mayor would have all his purses in the false drawer and not the treasury? Amara thought for a moment. The purses could be more worn because they're simply older, but I think that's because they're handled more. Maybe because those two are the coins that the mayor is legally allowed to use in office. As for the new-looking purses, I would think they wouldn't be in the treasury and not as worn for the same reason. These are the coins that he has acquired illegally. He couldn't take them to the treasury because he would be questioned, and he didn't take them out often because he didn't want anyone to know they were there. I think you are correct, the master agreed. Now, you can open them and find out how much you have acquired. Amara took the first worn purse and dumped out the coins. They were all silver. The second of the worn purses were all copper, and eight of the ten new-looking purses were gold coins. The other two new purses were also silver and copper, respectively. 
Amara's head was spinning as she and Laudel counted the coins. She was rich. She could do anything with these coins that she wanted to. She couldn't believe it. Not only did she get her cut of the coins she had stolen, but her cut of the price of the job. She couldn't fathom being that rich. In a day, she went from hardly able to feed herself to being able to pay for just about anything she wanted. Laudel and Amara counted the coins under the watchful eye of the master. There were twenty gold coins in each bag, and thirty silver and fifty copper in each of the other bags, respectively. So, they totaled it up to be one hundred and sixty gold coins, sixty silver and one hundred copper. So her count was forty gold pieces, fifteen silver and twenty-five copper. The master stood and picked up the two ledgers. Your outfit will be paid in full by your payment for the job. If I can get double for the job, like I think I can, you should get a cut of that as well. I will let Laudel know through the normal channels. No. And from this day on, you are no longer an apprentice. Farewell, journeyman Amara. The master walked out the door. Amara looked at Laudel and squealed. I'm a journeyman now. Not just a journeyman, Laudel corrected. The youngest journeyman in the history of our guild. Now you receive thirty percent of the gold taken in. She hugged him and grabbed the three purses off the table that held her coins and ran out the door. She had to put her money in a safe place. She couldn't believe how much her life changed in just one day. Wait! Laudel called just as she went around the corner. She turned around and popped her head back around the corner. What? He held out his hand. In his open palm were her knife and a few more coins. The extra five percent for your job since you are a journeyman and your knife. She snatched the knife and coins from Laudel. Thanks! She ran back out of the room. She headed for the watchtower where she kept all her important things. The watchtower was a part of the old city wall and wasn't used anymore. As the city expanded, a new wall was built and the old wall left to crumble. At the top of the tower, there was a landing that was open to the elements. It had a trap door that led to the stairs that would take her to ground level. The door on the ground level was always locked. She went there often just to look at the stars. On warm nights, she would sometimes sleep there on the roof. There was a stone under the awning of the roof that was loose, and she hid her few belongings there. She scaled the tower and peeked over the wall of the landing. No one was there, like normal. She pulled herself up onto the wall that rimmed the landing. She stood up and, holding onto the roof so she didn't fall, leaned out, using one hand to pull the stone out of its housing. The tower roof was hollow, and she kept three things in there other than her coins. First was the blanket that she was wrapped in when the thieves found her. The second was a pouch of her first set of throwing knives, and the third was an amulet that she assumed had been her mother's. She would have worn it wherever she went, but she lived with thieves, so she learned to take precautions. She pulled out the amulet and hung it around her neck, and she put the purses that contained her newest coins in the hole, pulling two gold coins and adding them to the few she had left in her purse. She replaced the stone, climbed down, and walked into the town market as the sun rose. I could not be more excited that Asia Walsh allowed me to share this with you guys. I really hope you enjoyed it. I had a ton of fun playing around with these voices, and uh, yeah, it's, I love doing fantasy fiction. So if any of you out there are an indie author or maybe know an indie author who would like to have their work read on the podcast, I would love to talk to you. Please get in touch with me. All the contact information for me is down below, and you can get in touch with the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and email, and any other way that you want to so please do me a big favor and go support hl walsh pre-order his book and uh yeah support indie authors because it's a it's a 
wonderful, tight-knit community. And the more we support each other, the more we can grow and people can do things that they enjoy. So thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you with another episode of Princess from Mars on Sunday. Talk to you then.